0: Joe, we're about to jump into our first episode of the 315 since everything got derailed by COVID. So I suppose I should ask, how are you holding up?
1: Well, you know, I've gained three pounds and and I suffer from attention deficit disorder. So there's that. Um, Been pulling my hair out, um, but surviving, finding new ways to work. Uh, new ways to entertain myself. What about yourself?
0: You know, pretty much the same, trying to stay sane in a house with two small and very relentless children. But, you know, we're also kind of trying to do our best when we can to still support some of the local businesses with a takeout order or something similar, maybe about once a week or so.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been pretty much doing the same thing, a little takeout here or there, obviously the grocery store and trying to find some things to do where it makes sense to, to social distance. But I'm also given thought about what can we do when this is all over. One of the things I think uh, that uh, folks can think about exploring are some of the parks uh, and other recreational opportunities in central New York. And today, we're going to be chatting with the owner of a wild animal park who is working hard to keep things afloat and has an interesting way for listeners to support the park. That's coming up on the 315. <laughs>
0: Digital content on w 8 er is supported by Hunter Springs Landscape Artisans, specializing in pool environment projects, outdoor living rooms and kitchens, natural stone craftsmanship, and traditional landscape projects since 1983. Information at hunterspringslandscape.com. Welcome to the 315. I'm Joe Lee. And I'm Kevin Kloss. If you were to travel to the fine town of Chittenango, you'll not only find the beautiful scenery of the Chittenango Falls, but also an opportunity to see some exotic animals.
1: Chittenango is home to the Wild Animal Park, and just like so many of us, they're feeling the impacts of COVID-19. Recently, we had a chance to chat, at a safe distance, with the park's owner, Jeff Taylor, about how they got their start and how they plan to continue their mission of wild animal education. Why don't you get started by just telling us a little bit about uh, the park and how you got started with it?
2: Oh uh, Yeah, basically it's a 14-acre wildlife education facility. Um, we house all seven big cat species, along with grizzly bears, black bears. We have giraffes, kangaroos, zebra, a wide variety of primates. Um, so it gives us a good, good amount of animals to to speak about and try to educate about the need for conservation. Um, education is our main focus for conservation. I, uh, it was my dream growing up to basically start have a zoo. And just slowly built up to what we've gotten to now, which is a pretty uh, expensive facility.
0: You know, Jeff, got a lot of questions about what it takes to run something like this. But going back to kind of the beginning, I've been to the park a few times. And one of the things I've always been curious about is how you guys decided on that location, you know driving in, you look like you're just kind of driving down a regular road, you see some houses, and then pretty quickly the animal park comes up on you there. How did you guys determine that kind of a location? What's the process like trying to scout out a location for a fairly big park like this?
2: Well, right in the beginning, um, it, it kind of just happened, it fell in my lap. I, I had a traveling petting zoo, and uh, I lived at my old house, and I was looking for possible land, and this just i drove by and came up uh it had some acreage and it had the pond out back so i took a look at it and kind of fell in love with the property and then i um, was able to purchase it and fortunately it's also in um somewhat of a business district so it made it easier for opening up a zoo and it works well because it's uh, a pretty heavily traveled road it's not like a side road um so the location worked out really well and i wanted to stay in my own town um I grew up here and I I really enjoy this town. I like the community. So it's nice because now we bring in roughly, I don't know, 130, 140,000 people
1: into Chittenango
2: and hopefully they're spending money at other businesses around and really supporting the community.
1: So you have a background in landscaping, and and as I understand it. uh, And so you you personally designed um, the park and uh, where the animals are displayed, is that correct?
2: Yeah, yep. Actually, I grew up on a farm, and then I started when I was 14 years old. I started working for a landscape company and worked all through high school and uh, into college, and then I started my own landscape company, and that was uh, fairly successful. But my whole life, this was my dream, so I started small with this, and this just took over. Um, And now, unfortunately, to where I'm out of landscaping, but I'm able to use my knowledge of landscaping into the park, into my animal enclosures. Every enclosure is different. I try to out of the box, do different things, improve. Um, the big thing with animal care is you want to give them the best possible care in captivity. So we're always trying to improve the exhibits, add different things, all to benefit the animals. And then the aesthetics of the park. I want when people come here, I want them to feel like it's a clean, neat facility because in turn that reflects on our animal care also, um, just uh, paying attention to detail and keeping things as high. Top quality
1: as possible. Do you have to plan for, uh, uh, say, the natural environment uh, of these animals in the way that you design uh, your park, or does that not matter? And then, how do you, uh, how do you care for warm climate animals in a, <laughs> in a place like Central New right. York? Well,
2: the thing is, anytime you get an animal, you basically you look at all the needs of the animal, what they need as far as food. Um, shelter, whether they're a warm weather animal or cooler weather. So every animal that comes in, we plan out, plan out their winter housing, plan out their summer housing, their exhibit space. Um, Some of the more, I would say, dangerous animals we have shift areas for because we want to make sure the animals are safe, but we also want to make sure our zookeepers are totally safe um, and taking care of them. So there's a lot that goes into the process. Making sure our veterinary uh, that we work with are comfortable with taking care of the different species also.
1: When you first began to to start this up, I mean, was there some concern about um, the knowledge and expertise you would need to care for not only large animals, but exotic animals? And how did you approach that?
2: Yeah, you know, when I first started, I kind of worked my way up. I didn't just jump right into big cats. I I started with smaller species. And I mean, I obviously grew up on a farm. I've worked with hoof stock and different animals so I, I knew knew the aspects of caring for them, but just slowly learned and took my time learning, making sure that uh, everything was covered. And I definitely did have skepticism, mostly by people that just don't understand, and or animal rights people that are looking to be negative and don't understand or care about animal care. They're just out for an agenda, um, but uh, it's all in what you want. If you want to learn about things and learn how to take care of them, you just got to really research, and uh, that's what I did, and the uh, field i'm in there's a lot of amazing people that are always willing to help and we've been really successful at it and we have some amazing animals here we have some breeding programs that are working for us that shows the animal care is is well because the animals oftentimes especially with the primates if they're not happy they're not going to breed and we're, we've had great success with with that um so yeah uh and now i feel like uh the proof is what you have in front of you and I feel like my, my, my keepers do a great job and we try to provide a great facility.
0: I must say smart decision on your part to take it easy at the beginning and not jump into the big cats right at the beginning. I am curious though about, you know, when you guys first got started, sort of how you were able to acquire the animals you needed because you have to have obviously a certain a certain inventory of animals for people to come and to see and to visit. What is the process like to, to acquire those animals, and specifically, what did you start with?
2: So it's all, uh, I'm federally and state licensed, so it's important that you have the license. Um, that's, I'm always trying to be clear with people. I have tigers, I have lions. We're considered private owners, but we're a private business owner. Um, we're not a private pet owner. None of these animals should be pets. Um, that's something that they need big enclosures a lot to having them, that you need to have the right facility. But I uh, I started with uh, some the hoofstock, the petting zoo animals, uh, camels, zebras, and then I worked my way into um, black bears was the first, uh, I don't want to say carnivore because they're an omnivore, but of that type of animal um, and worked our way up from there. Uh, and especially with, when you get into carnivores, the diets, and we go through three to 4,000 pounds a every month so you got to make sure that you can uh sustain their diets. because once you take on their uh their lifetime of care and they're very expensive to care for but we uh we make sure we have that covered
1: and under what uh, circumstances do you acquire the animals you you're getting them from other zoos is that when um a certain animal gets to be overpopulated at that zoo no what's, what's the um, process
2: responsible breeding um other quality facilities will breed if there's other zoos that need them. So fortunately there's a there's a decent amount of zoos on the private sector that breed to supply each other, um, not irresponsibly. Um there's certain animals that we don't breed because there aren't other facilities that are quality out there that that are in need of them. Uh so it's uh all just working with good quality facilities that have the animals welfare being their one, number one concern, but also Breeding enough to sustain because we need them to be to reproduce so that we have them to spread the message of conservation. Because people that are crazy if they think that we don't need zoos and we can teach kids out of books to protect the, the environment and their, the wild species, say tigers, and that won't happen. I mean, right now we live in a, a, a world where it's, if you can get, pull kids away from their iPads or their computers or their video games. You've got to take that attention is the little amount of time and get the most impact out of it. And seeing these amazing animals in person is, is the way that you can do that. A book just won't do it. I'm not taking away from books, but you need to see a tiger, or a lion up close to really appreciate how amazing they are.
0: So, Jeff, you were talking before about, you know, the research that you do before you decide to, to bring an animal in, into your park there. Are there animals that, you know, people will mention to you, you'll get a request for as part of the park, but you guys just aren't set up to, to house that kind of animal? Have you ever had to make that decision?
2: Yeah, I would say probably the most common uh, request we get that an animal that um, we currently aren't in the position to house would be elephants. Um, elephants are such a large, amazing animal, and they need a, a, a big, big area, and um, that we just at the park, we don't have quite the land that we would need, and I would never get them unless I had the proper facility for them. So um, I would say that that's the most common animal that people would like to see. We're pretty maxed out here at the zoo itself for um, expansion, so uh, we're pretty limited now to what we have, um, some smaller areas that we're going to develop, but nothing like um, major large species or hoofstock.
1: Now, we have a, a pretty decent-sized zoo in this area, the Rosamond Gifford Zoo. How do you differentiate uh, what you're doing at the wild um, animal park versus what Gifford is doing?
2: I grew up going to Rosamond Gifford. Um, I only say positive things about them. I think they have a nice facility. I think they take great care of their animals. We're just different. We're uh we're more hands-on, more interactive. Our keepers are more interactive with the public. We do animal shows. Um, we have petting zoo where you can feed. You can feed our giraffe. Um, I think we provide a unique experience where it's definitely more hands-on. Um, in my opinion, you get more value out of that um, as far as impacting children, impacting adults for you know, wanting to preserve and conserve. So we do it safely, but it's definitely, we're definitely a more interactive facility. And uh, we have a little bit different species of them. They have some great species. We have some great species. But I think uh, I try to look at them more as we, we complement each other. And we're all, as long as everybody's taking great care of the animals in captivity, um, I encourage people to visit both places.
1: So has the, has the COVID 19 lockdown impacted your operation at all? Oh, absolutely. It's
2: been a huge impact. We, uh, we go into, this was our 10th season. Uh, we open up in mid-April, and we're open through the end of October. And right now we have basically zero income coming in where we would normally have a great amount of income for the animal care. So it's, it's impacted us immensely. Um, the government has shut us down from being able to operate, but they have no plan to protect us and, and uh, help us get through this. So it's very difficult um, we're doing some uh, online t-shirt sales and gift shop sales to raise money to keep the, the zoo going and uh, keep our employees employed. I haven't laid anybody off yet, but it's had a, had a great impact. Um, and we're not the type of business that can cut back on expenses because you've got to feed and care for these animals nonstop. We can't slow down. So we've uh, we've taken a lot of losses. We lost 150 field trips that we have normally booked for the spring. Um so yeah it's definitely had a a major impact in going forward i mean we don't know the future of the zoo um because we just can't plan we don't know when we have no direction of when we may be allowed to open um we're kind of just sitting back we invested a great deal of money in the off season for going into our tent season new exhibits, new uh additions we added a train ride so we spent a lot of money in anticipation and to have this happen it's uh it's kind of devastating for the business. I mean, we're going to fight through it, but it's definitely a hit. We're doing the T-shirt sales, and people have been really, really um, helping us out and adopting. and uh, So it's working out
1: and how pretty can, well. And how can people, uh, how can they participate in that?
2: Um, our our uh, website is thewildshop.com, or wildshop.com. Um, or go on our website the wildpark.com or our Facebook pages they have the links on those different pages of things that you can purchase and helps out because the money goes towards our animal care
1: is there uh, let me ask you this is there um, state government assistance for for parks and zoos like this? No
2: there really isn't um, We are privately funded so we don't get any money from the state or government um, which makes it challenging but you know, we are technically a business, okay. so I—I I really, people have offered to donate, and I'd rather give them a product. Right, um, it's tough for me to take donations without giving them something in return. So, um, that's we—we we feel as though uh, we want people to support us when we're open, support us by our products. So, but we're uh, we're fighting through it, um, and
0: doing everything that we can on our end. So obviously, uh, Jeff, you mentioned how you know you guys are closed. Don't you don't have customers coming in? But just by the fact that. You have living, breathing animals that still need to be fed and taken care of. Are you guys deemed essential workers, or what What functions yeah. are still taking place? We would be
2: essential because uh, the animals have to have their care, so mm-hmm. that's where our keepers are able to continue to work because we have to take care and clean and take care of all the aspects of their life during this time.
0: So right now, let's just take a a quick break from our interview for something that I think is is very important to say, and that's, Joe, we have not done this show for about a couple of months now, but I got to say, we sound good.
1: Compared to what? (laughs) I mean, You know, yeah, we do sound good, Uh, but never let there be a dull moment on the 315 because this conversation takes a dramatic shift towards the exotic. Are you familiar with Joe Exotic, Kevin?
0: I am familiar with the star of the Netflix documentary, The Tiger King. I've seen not the whole thing, but I've, I've seen a good portion of the episodes that are available. And while I wouldn't say that Joe Exotic reminds me of Jeff, who we're talking with right now at all, but these two were just destined to be brought together because of the space that they share.
1: Uh, absolutely. So we wanted to get Jeff's thoughts on the Netflix documentary, its flamboyant and eclectic characters, and the portrayal of zoos and small parks around the country. We wanted to find out uh, from his perspective how all of that is seen. Let me, let me pivot for a second here, Jeff, if you don't mind. I'm sure you've seen or at least heard about uh, the Netflix Netflix documentary, the The Tiger King, um, and yep. given the the wild popularity of that um, of that uh, of that show, that documentary. Do you expect there to be a bump in interest in your park uh, when you're able to resume?
2: Um, I don't know about a bump in interest. I know it's going to be challenging for us because the uh, that movie shows four crazy people or four shows the worst of the worst in an industry, and it's going to propel radical, crazy animal rights groups to push for new laws based on those people, which isn't a fair representation of the whole industry. Um, and a show is based on drama, and they, they embellish, and they made it more dramatic than it probably really is, all for the wow factor, and it, it caught attention. Um, but I anticipate more negativity coming from the show, which is unwarranted. And they're going to try to push the Big Cat Safety Act, which is a ridiculous act. It's pushed by AZA and radical animal rights groups just to eliminate competition like me. It, it all comes down to money, uh-huh. just like a lot of things. And you've got other people in industry pushing laws that would impact me that would only help them financially. So. So, um, yeah, so That so this that is one
1: yeah this is one of the uh that's actually one of the messages that uh that they were the zoo, the zoo owners in that documentary was was trying to make but you think that message gets lost because of the circus that they were putting on
2: Yeah I mean there's so many nice facilities that don't do what those people do and, and take the animal care more seriously I mean Big Cat Rescue in Florida is is really a dump, and I wouldn't I wouldn't wish that on any animal. To go there, um, they call themselves a rescue. They they bring in four million dollars, yet they only put about five six hundred thousand back into animal care, which that doesn't really add up. Um, if you're a sanctuary, you should put the majority of your money back into the animal care. Um, we're not even a sanctuary, and we put the majority of our money back into it. The other groups pushing this, they uh, deceive and decept to get people to donate to them on false premises and they actually turn it around and it's trying to impact animals in captivity and it goes right down to your dogs and cats. They don't want you to have them as pets. Hmm. But I'm an easier target with, with tigers and lions, obviously.
0: Jeff I, I definitely agree that there's you know, there's gonna be some uphill battles to fight given that documentary once you guys are back open again. As a counterpoint, is there room for you guys to maybe take advantage of educating people to the importance of you know, zoos and animal parks that, that are doing things correctly, that are treating animals with the respect that they need, giving them what they would need if they were out in the wild. Is there room to educate people on the importance of parks such as the one that you own?
2: There is, and we will. Um, I'm just hoping that too much damage isn't done. Um, people often are so, they have a knee-jerk reaction to uh, think the worst and um, they'll assume that all places are bad and they won't take their time to research it um, and see that there are good places. So um, we're going to do our part, but I'm hoping that too much damage hasn't been done. Um, these congressmen, these politicians, they get paid by these animal rights groups to push these laws through. So the movie's going to help fuel the push for that. So hopefully hopefully it doesn't. I mean, I by no means think anybody should have a tiger as a pet. You shouldn't be able to that. should be illegal, but... Saying that I can't as a business and say the city zoo can, it just doesn't make any sense. It's uh, it's legislating business of who is successful and who's not, and that's that's uh, that's not right. Um, as long as we're providing the quality care necessary, then that's what should matter.
1: So just to be clear, you're no Joe Exotic. You're not. I am no Joe Exotic. <laughs> I am nobody in that show. Um,
2: these animals to us are like family to us. And their, their care comes first to us, and we're not in it for show, we're in it for education, and we're, we want to help conserve and protect uh, the wild counterparts or members of these
1: species. Before we let you go, just uh, what, for someone who hasn't visited, uh, when they walk through uh, the gates there, what's the experience? What, what can they uh, expect?
2: Just a, a really educational, hands-on experience where the animals are right up close, where you can see them. Yet they have big enclosures. You'll see that our animals—they—they uh, they have great lives. They seem overly happy. They—they they, uh, we just. I have great staff that takes care of them, and I think it's a—it's a different experience than you'll experience at most zoos.
1: Well, thank you, Jeff. We hope to see you there soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. To find out how you can assist with their efforts to continue to care for the animals during the COVID shutdown, visit the Wild Animal Park website at thewildanimalpark.com. So, Kevin, who were some of your favorite characters on The Tiger King?
0: I think favorite's an interesting word to use, Joe. (laughs) How do you establish what is your favorite? If I'm going for entertainment, then I will tell you who brings the most entertainment to me. Carol. There's a whole lot wrapped around that character, and I don't even think we have all the answers quite yet. She seems to have some issues with our good friend Joe there, while well, she herself has some issues. Uh, and to say there's not some some drama around current husband, former husband, family of former husband, there is drama just, just dripping at the seams here. So Carol is nonstop enjoyment if you're checking out The Tiger King. What about you?
1: You know, for me, it's uh, in in, in a show where everyone seems to be, like, off the charts crazy. I guess my favorite character that I focused on and, and, and sort of sympathized with. And, and I'm, I don't know his name, but it's the, it's the young man that wanted to be a serious campaign director. The guy that was directing uh, Joe's uh, campaign for office, he seemed to take his job very seriously. You know, he thought that he had a candidate that he could sell to the public and trying to do that with uh, someone, let's just say, that was uh, very difficult to harness. You know, so uh, I appreciated his, his effort to bring a level of professionalism to that organization. And I could sympathize with the lack of control that he's, he seemed to have. But uh, it was a, it's a crazy show. If, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's definitely a train wreck worth watching. Um, but we appreciate having this conversation with Jeff about the work that he does uh, at the Animal Park.
0: I was skeptical. Of the show at the beginning, but with that many people talking about it and a little extra time during COVID, it's a show that's well worth your while if you're looking for something a little bit different. And that'll do it for another episode of The 315. Thanks to Jeff Taylor from the Wild Animal Park in Chittenango for chatting with us. If you enjoyed the show, you can always find archived episodes by visiting WAER.org.
1: And never miss a new episode by subscribing for automatic delivery in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Until the next time, I'm Joe Lee. Be sure to get out there and find some things to explore in central New York once you can.
0: And I'm Kevin Claus. Thanks for listening.